Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. Roll that beautiful bean footage. I mean, burly footage. Burly, that's what I mean. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you on a rare Thursday night edition of the Pipes Magazine radio show. All right, in tonight's show, in Pipe Parts, I'll recap my uh, trip to Las Vegas and just a uh, slight bit of an update on the FDA. uh, My guest is pipe maker Bill Walther. We'll sit down with Bill. Uh, Music, get caught up on the mailbag, and a rant. All that coming up in tonight's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, And as you can tell, hey, I woke up on uh, Monday morning in Las Vegas throat was on fire and guess what i got myself a cold so if i sound a little uh froggy well that's why um lots of hot tea lemon honey uh decongestants and all that fun stuff uh, i do get a little concerned when it comes around a cold season because oh about five years ago i got a cold went into my ear and now i've got a permanent ringing in my left ear and uh, some damage so have to take care of myself and uh, kind of pace myself through this. Uh, we did all survive the uh, presidential election here in the United States, and uh, that's the only comment you will get from me on that at all, period, whatsoever, as of now. Uh, but I do have some, uh, I, all I can say is that uh, FDA-related stuff, uh, the uh the election of Donald Trump will be uh, less worse for the uh, for the tobacco industry than uh, than Hillary Clinton would have been. So maybe maybe there's some hope of FDA turmoil or turnover or whatever you want to call it. All right, everybody, let's uh, get the show rolling. Got a big trip report coming up, so everybody sit back, relax. Thank you all for tuning in. Fire up a bowl, and thank you to the McBaron Tobacco Company. Here we go. I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. Since 1990, Cornell & Deal has been producing high-quality pipe tobacco, expertly blended by hand using time-honored methods, unique recipes, and no small amount of innovation. One example of such innovation is our bestseller, Autumn Evening. We start with whole leaf red Virginia and strip the stems by hand. The tobacco is then cut into ribbons and cooked for two days according to our unique recipe to create our special red Virginia Cavendish. Then we infuse the tobacco while it's still hot with our secret flavoring to achieve the sublime sweetness, deep flavor and delightful aroma that makes Autumn Evening so well loved by our loyal customers and everyone around them as they enjoy this very special blend. Cornell and Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. It's a labor of love. Contact your local or online retailer for information. Welcome back. All right, so the trip started off on uh, Wednesday night when I flew out to Vegas. Um, uneventful except for the fact that the uh, 
Palace Station did not have the exact room that I requested or even paid for, so anyway, you know, part of that thing of uh, smoking rooms are a request, not a guarantee, whatever. Uh, Thursday and Friday, most of the day was spent, most of those, those two days were spent going around to local retail, and part of my job with uh, Sutliff and McBaron is that we sell Super Value, a a value-priced 12-ounce bag tobacco that we make in Richmond. And I I know the Las Vegas area well enough to know that there's a lot of discount tobacco stores. So I wanted to see what their mood was like and what was going on. Um, Most of them, quite honestly, were unaware of anything going on with FDA and their more uh, cigarette and... uh, fake pipe tobacco focused a lot of them have gotten out of the e-cigarette stuff but they carry a a line of traditional pipe tobacco or two or three so spent uh, spent a lot of time going in and out of those stores uh vegas does have a good community of uh, local real pipe and cigar shops uh nothing nothing really grand but you know what they're working on it um Let's see, Friday night began with a meeting at the Irish Pub, and the best part of the West Coast Pipe Show is that it's all contained right inside the Palace Station, so all you have to do is go down to that Irish Pub, and there's always somebody hanging out there, including uh, member Pipe Smoking Tom, whose wife did these really cool PM buttons, which I got and is now uh, permanently attached to my uh, backpack, so thank you very much. Uh, Friday evening was, uh, you know what? I was tired, so kind of got to bed about 10.30 or so. Uh, the other thing that I really like that the West Coast Pipe Show does is the show doesn't open until 10 a.m., so you really don't have to get up at the crack of dawn to go set up and do all that. Um, thank you to the Briar Patch from Sacramento, Because of the new regulations, I was unable to uh, deal directly with consumers. So all of our product and our table is right next to uh, uh, right next to the Briar Patch. And if you're ever in the Sacramento area, please check them out. They are wonderful to work with and uh, took care of all of you uh, people that attended the show perfectly. Um, The show was, uh, I think it was a little less attended than last year. Uh, notably, uh, the Dagners were not there, so that, uh, that seemed to, uh, cut down on the amount of YouTube pipe community people that were there. Um, lots of, uh, interesting new pipe makers, and I got a chance to walk around the show floor. And again, this show is, you can smoke in the room while you're walking around. Um, lots of interesting it's an interesting mix of manufacturers suppliers uh little uh independent pipe makers and then just some collectors and some really good estate pipes so it's a lot of fun to walk around it it's easy to walk around and i think because of the size of it it may quickly becoming my favorite pipe show kind of replacing what the uh what the richmond pipe show was of the past um, let's see, what am I forgetting? I'm, uh, I'm forgetting that, uh, yeah, again, the, the attendees were really understanding of the no sampling rule. And so you had me, you had Cornell and Deal there. 
um, Daughters and Ryan was there, and uh, Lane Limited had a table, and they were, you know, all really pleasant about the no sna- no sampling. Um, now, in my situation, I did have some stuff open for people to smell and inspect, and then uh, we offered show deals, and I'm sure Cornell and Deal did the same thing. Not sure about the others. Um, one of the uh, one of the benefits of hanging out at this show is also that because it's all contained in that one room and there's also a little smoking room is you really get a chance to just sit back and relax and have some conversations with some great people too many of them to list but there is a great thread going on on uh, pipes magazine and the forums that has some wonderful pictures of the show so do check that out uh they did say the show will go on next year. So 2017, make your plans right now. If you can, get yourself out to the West Coast Pipe Show. All right, there's my report on that. The only news on the FDA is that the uh, lawsuits have been agreed to be heard by the judge that they're in front of. It'll be February or March before they are heard. So that's good news. But at the same time, it's a little bit longer off than what we wanted to hear. All right, everybody. In just a minute, uh, one of the pipe makers that I got to see his work at the uh, at, at the West Coast Pipe Show, Bill Walther, will be with me. This is Internet Radio. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. I wish I had a genie who could make it easy to order pipes and tobaccos online. You don't need a genie, sir. Visit fullnoggins.com. They stock all your favorite pipes and tobaccos, and every order gets fast personal attention. Orders are packed carefully and shipped quickly by priority mail. Fullnoggins.com. Fournoggins.com. I can still see you, you know. A bit rusty, sir. Fournoggins.com. Welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show, and uh, you know it's fun to it's it's fun to talk to the young the the young new pipe makers that are coming into it. But now we've got a uh, I guess Bill, we'll just, we'll just call you a more seasoned pipe maker. How's that? Uh, this is a, a mature pipe maker. There you go, a mature pipe maker. So please <laughs> welcome Bill Walther to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Thank you. All right. So uh, first of all, let's get to know you. Where did you uh, Where did you grow up, and uh, what was, was pipe smoking your first career? Well, I was uh, I was born in Elgin, Illinois, and I was brought here when I was about three years old. So I am a naturalized Texan. <laughs> I live in Arlington, right between Dallas and Fort Worth. And as for my my previous life, uh, I've had quite a varied career, probably 40 or 50 
miscellaneous jobs before I finally settled in at Parkland Hospital in Dallas. And I started there in 84 and uh, worked my way up to vice president of facilities and engineering and uh, director of real estate for Parkland. Uh, worked there 30 years. And wow. uh, prior to that, I was uh, I started out in a cabinet shop when I was about 12 years old and learned a lot of woodworking skills there. Got into carpentry. Oh, did a lot of physical labor during the summers, building houses, that sort of thing. And uh, went to college in architecture, got a bachelor's in architecture. And the job market was slow when I got out of there, so I went to Watson Clockmaking School, became a certified clock and watchmaker, worked in the jewelry store uh, repairing antique pocket watches, and became a diamond grader and appraiser. <laughs> Then I went into the uh, petrochemical business, building uh, scale models of refineries and such. And uh, it was following that that I started at Parkland. Um, I think when I was about 26, 28, I bought uh, my first bag of briar from Italy. And um, it came in, it was... uh, all gigantic blocks, but they were nasty things. <laughs> they were, it was like they were dug up in an oil refinery or something. <laughs> and I don't think they were ever properly treated. So I made, I made what I considered at that time to be some beautiful pipes out of it, but they, uh, they smoked awful. They were just terrible. And, uh, so over the years, I continued to make, uh, oh, I'd say an average of four or five pipes a year for the next 20 years or so, 30 years, until I retired. And by that time, I knew what I wanted to do. So I had a little stock of briar, good briar this time from Memo, and I had accumulated some equipment in my garage and I was ready to go. So I walked away from my long career at Parkland, went out in the garage and started making pipes full time. And that was was several years ago. And I have just enjoyed it immensely ever since. I I wish I'd done that 30 years sooner. Now let's go go back because you were doing pocket watches and repairs on that stuff and then building miniatures so you you must have always liked working on really small detailed stuff i did i i've always liked that i've always liked precision uh beauty you know crystallized sorts of little things like that so uh I've always liked working with my hands, too. That's one thing I missed for those 30 years, is getting to the end of the day and knowing that I'd produced something, uh, something you could touch. And uh, being a mind worker, so to speak, was 
was fun at times, and I enjoyed it. I, I wouldn't trade my experience for anything, but my real love is, is producing something. And uh, the, the more perfect and, and uh, the prettier it is, the more I like it. Yeah, so let's, let's, we we got a few minutes here, and I love old pocket watches. I love the old watches. I mean, so were you getting these old pieces and just pulling them apart and completely fixing them up? Well, what I did was I specialized in railroad watches, and um, but I'd repair any kind of watch. But the railroad watches, uh, you may be familiar with them. It's a pocket watch that's about two inches in diameter. And they're very finely made with 21 to 23 jewels. And um, <clears throat> they were made to keep time as accurately as possible, of course, for work on the railroad. And they had to be, uh, back in the day, they had to be calibrated and certified on a regular basis to assure they were accurate. They had to be accurate to within 10 seconds a day in six different positions uh, with the pendant up, uh, upside down, flat on the table, upside down on the table, etc. Wow. So to do that, you have to uh, take out the little oscillating wheel and do a bunch of manipulations on that to get it to oscillate in a very regular manner. So what I would do is pull these pocket watches apart and polish all the pivots and balance them and make all the adjustments, put it on the machine and hope to see a, uh, a straight line which indicated that it was keeping time within a second or two a day in all of those different positions. And uh, that was... Uh, obviously pretty exacting work and i really enjoyed it but uh, i also uh, i also uh, had a propensity for eating and, and wearing <laughs> clothes and stuff like that so I, uh, I had to get a real job after a while yeah we we had ronnie b on recently who said that uh you know, doing watch and doing watch repair and stuff like that was uh People wanted to pay Rolex. Or people wanted Rolex work for Timex prices. So after after doing watches, then you were doing miniatures of oil rigs. Then, uh, then I got into the uh, scale model building for petrochemical uh, uh, refineries and sulfur recovery plants, things like that. Uh, so I uh, I became piping designer and. Uh, a uh, structural designer, which involved a lot of uh, geometry and a lot of drafting, and uh, I enjoyed that too. I, I designed my own piping or structures, and then go to a table, a little table, and build it at a scale of three eighths of an inch equals a foot. And they were just, uh, they were realistic in every, every uh, detail. And they were built so that, uh, so that everything was uh, labeled 
with a coordinate, which was, uh, in other words, uh, a north-south north coordinate, an east-west coordinate, and an elevation. So if you knew the coordinates and the elevation, you knew exactly where it was when you went to build the refinery. So what, what we would do is wow. we'd take the plans, in some case we produced the plans ourselves, we built the model and attached all of the labeling to it so you had all those coordinates. And then you take the model out in, a, say, 10, 12, 15 tables that latch together to, to represent the whole refinery. And they built a little building on site to house those in. So they put the model in the building, and the workers who were building the refinery used that as a 3D set of plans. Huh. So they could come into that building and, and look at the area that they were working on and see in three dimensions in, in real life, so to speak, exactly what it was supposed to look like when it was done. So they could actually build the refinery looking at the model. And that was uh, that was a lot of fun too. I enjoyed that. Yeah, so you were you you'd come up with the design of what they wanted and then you'd make them a small version of it and show it to them. Right. Right. Uh from start to finish, how how much time is involved in drafting it and then making the you know making the model to complete? It is, uh, it's very time-consuming um, if you can envision a, or any kind of an industrial application like that might have a pipe rack and uh, a bunch of pipes running through it and then a, one pipe will drop out to a pump and that'll pump over to a tank or a tower or something like that. Um, in a day, we might produce... Uh, one of those tanks, or we might produce the pump, or we might we might design and produce uh, three or four pipes that go in it. And uh, all in all, with engineers, there were about 300 people working on it. Wow. And, uh, people from petrochemical engineers to designers, uh, checkers, all kinds of different players and it would take our company uh, i worked for a company that designed the original san francisco streetcar system uh, huh. it's called ford bacon and davis engineers and uh, so it's a sizable company and a sizable endeavor it would take it would take six to eight months probably to to uh, design and build the model for the refinery there's uh, quite an involvement. Wow! <laughs> of all the people in the uh, in the hobby that I know, now I know somebody who made <laughs> miniature refineries. Right, right. It is uh, it is kind of an unusual thing to do. Actually, um, if you can envision it, that was the precursor to CAD drafting. Yeah. Uh, computer-aided drafting uh, wasn't developed when I got into that. And now, of course, you can 
model anything you can draft. You can model on a computer, and you can show it in three dimensions and rotate it and all that. So I would rather imagine, even though it's been over 30 years since I've been in that business, I would imagine that the business has more or less dissolved and become CAD drafting and 3D uh, imaging. Uh, you know, uh, Christmas is coming up. I bet you could make one heck of a gingerbread house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, with pipe smoking, when did you start smoking a pipe? Um, well, I bought a pipe when I was about 20. And I was a cigarette smoker from the time I was uh, maybe 18, 19. And I bought a... I bought a pipe or two when I was 20 years old at Edwards Pipe Shop in Fort Worth, and uh, I never had much luck with it. Uh, I bought several more over the years thinking it was the pipe, though, like so many of us, uh, it took me about 10 years before I finally ran across somebody. Uh, actually, I was sitting talking to my brother-in-law, and he was filling his pipe and getting ready to light it and, and he asked me how why I didn't smoke a pipe anymore I told him well my mouth just can't take it you know it's, <laughs> it's too hot and uncomfortable and and uh, I can burn the top of my mouth in a in a bowl full and he said well here try this you know so he lit his pipe got it going well and handed it to me and I was just blown away at how cool and and smooth it was. You could actually taste the smoke. And He taught me how to slow down a little and uh, as a cigarette smoker, of course, you tend to smoke a little fast and, and you puff harder than, than you normally would with a pipe. So uh, it takes some adjustment. <clears throat> and uh, when I when I realized how nice it could be, I got back into it. So by that time, I was probably 30, 31. And uh, I started buying pipes at estate sales and anywhere I could find them and gave up cigarettes when I was about 32. And I've uh, never picked up a cigarette since. Never had any desire to, really. Um, as a matter of fact, I'd rather smoke a pipe than a cigar any time. Uh, but I am just, since that time, I have always been a totally dedicated pipe smoker. And I have a pipe in my mouth. If, I, if I'm shaving, I'll shift it to the left and shave the right <laughs> side of my face and vice versa. I don't. I don't remember actually walking into the shower with one in my mouth. But I probably have. <laughs> so, <laughs> I am just a a full time rabid pipe smoker. That's a perfect place to yeah. take a break, and we'll uh, when we come back, we'll talk yeah. about uh, pipe making. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Meet Josh. Everyone at SmokingPipes.com holds customers as a high priority, but nobody interacts with them more personally than Josh. He's our professor of pipes, if you will. 
As a previous professor of history, educating the customer comes easily to him. He loves explaining the history of a particular pipe to a customer or coaching his customer service team. I love to help customers find that perfect piece for their collection. It's my job to make sure there's a smile on the other end of the line, and I'm more than happy to be the one to put it there. And although Josh's job can sometimes be quite demanding, he doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why? Because I don't just sell pipes, I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345. That's 1-888-366-0345. Or check us out online at SmokingPipes.com. We are quality. We are experts. We are SmokingPipes.com. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with uh, model maker and uh, pipe maker Bill Walther. What made you want to get started making a pipe? So, uh, obviously, you know, when you're in that boat and you're a young, struggling, uh, aspiring to the adult world, I was was still looking for a a permanent uh, career to settle down to at that point. And I couldn't afford much of a pipe. So I started making pipes to make, uh, so I could make a pipe for myself that I really liked and enjoyed and, you know, thought was, thought was attractive. Yeah, and that, and that's when, I mean, did you go to anybody for help or did you just look at pipes that you had and give them and figured, all right, I'll take this ugly wood and try to make it? Well, that's about the size of it. Back in those days, there weren't uh, weren't nearly as many. There wasn't a community, so to speak, of uh, pipe makers. Uh, Butera was around at that time, and I actually called him one time, probably 35, 40 years ago, and and uh, asked him for a little about uh, general questions on what he did to cure the briar and that sort of thing. And uh, he told me he had his oil curing process, but of course he wouldn't give me any details. (laughs) He said, you'll figure it out eventually. He said, basically, uh, you know, the briar's not sick, so it doesn't need to be cured, so to speak. uh, He said, just so it's good and dry and, and it's been properly handled and treated before you get it, you're, you're in good shape. So uh, so that encouraged me. But, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I just basically figured it all out and uh, started making pipes and didn't really run into any pipe makers for the next Oh, next, like I say, 35 years. Uh, After I retired, I started uh, linking up with some of my fellow pipe makers now. uh, Premal Chetta, as you know, has been helpful to so many beginning pipe makers. And uh, he's given me some valuable tips on uh, what the internal engineering should be which uh, corrected some of my my previous conceptions. And I picked up some good information from a number of my fellow makers on uh, finishes and t- 
tools and various things like that. Uh, but it's interesting, it always interested me that the techniques and methods that I developed in a vacuum turned out to be virtually identical to what everybody else is doing, you know, as far <laughs> as the light turning and, uh, you know, how to position and drill the buyer and what to do first, what to do next, uh, that sort of thing. It's amazing how how similar uh, my methods were after all that time. But uh, I'm sure there's some things that are different, too. Is it uh, is it fair to say that your uh, that your pipes are more along the lines of like the Danish and American style? Um. Well, you know, I'm not I'm not real sure that I could ascribe a style in particular to them. Um, you know, it's a, it's a lot of people feel that a pipe maker should or, or can identify, an ide I mean, uh, develop an identifiable style over a period of time so you can more or less spot them across a room. And uh, I'm a little different in that regard in that I'm all over the board with my design. I don't, I don't aspire to duplicate classical designs at all. And I do like uh, uniqueness, and I like things that are different, uh, but I want them to, to be graceful and attractive, comfortable in the hand. It's nice if it's a sitter. Um, I like a 13, 16th inch uh, chamber. And of course, all the internal engineering has got to be right too which dictates uh, wall thicknesses and minimal, minimum clearances of briar over some of the critical parts, you know. So that's, that's a reason, for instance, that I don't like bulldogs <laughs> because the, the traditional bulldog tapers down at the bottom such that either you drill the chamber fairly shallow or else you get it down in the range that you've only got a, a small amount of wood covering the very bottom, and they can get quite hot down in that V-shaped bottom. Yep. And I don't like that. So so that influences my style. Now but uh, also being a, <clears throat> a full-time, fully stoked pipe smoker, um, I tend to like a bigger bowl than maybe some people do. Uh, there's a lot of popularity now of the very small pipes. Uh, they're they're beautiful, and I like them. I mean, uh, aesthetically, I love them. Uh, a lot of makers are making them. A lot of the best makers are making them, and they're like little jewels. And I just love them. But as for my style of smoking, it's just not adequate. So, so I like that bowl to be a little larger. I like a, a nice uh, thickness of wall. I, I shoot for like five sixteenths of an inch minimum. And uh, if I can't get that, I'll go down to maybe three sixteenths is a very, very uh, marginal 
amount. So I have a good amount of wood covering any part of the, the burning tobacco. And I like the bowl to be at least an inch, an inch and a quarter deep, and preferably closer to an inch and a half. So obviously with all that said, that's going to dictate what I produce, uh, what I turn out. And my pipes tend to be a little larger, but like I said, I, like, I want to keep them graceful and attractive and comfortable and obviously to smoke well. Do you think the, uh, I mean, 13 sixteenths is, I guess the, the standard is three quarters, so 13 sixteenths is not that much bigger, but it is, uh, it, it's a good, yeah, it, it's a little bit bigger. It, does that help keep the pipe or the flavor of the tobacco a little cooler? Both of them smoke. I have three-quarter-inch uh, chambers on some of my pipes that I've traded from people. or some. I've got a very few estate pipes left that I used to collect, um, some of which have a, a three-quarter-inch bowl. And I don't have any objection at all. I can't really detect any difference except uh, when they build up a little bit of a cake, which happens pretty quick with me. Yeah, I can, I can, uh, I have to ream a pipe after probably, uh, oh, a couple of months of smoking or having that pipe in my rotation, it really needs reaming. And, uh, that's about a sixteenth of an inch. So, mine end up being a little less than three quarters of an inch by the time they need reaming. But I like to be able to get my uh, ring finger in it and, and kind of uh, the ends of my fingers, I guess, are pretty well fireproof now. Because <laughs> <laughs> I use them more than my tamper for tamping the tobacco. Uh, so that's, that's, one of my, that's one of the main reasons I go with that size bowl is so that I can, uh, I can get my finger in there pretty much all, to the, all the way to the bottom. I've got big fingers. <laughs> well, it, three quarters, thirteen sixteenths. I, I think it's really kind of a toss up. And I guess with the uh, with the thirteen sixteenths, and you're giving us room to build up a cake and uh, have a nice cool smoke. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it, it's cool smoke, and it's uh, it's more proportional probably to the depth of the bowl that I like. And in that regard, you might say it could make a difference because if you've got a, a larger opening for the air to come in, uh, then it will accommodate that greater depth better, I would say. Obviously, that's pure speculation, but... But uh, that's the way I perceive it. Is there a part of the pipe making process that you like the best? Um. Well, the stem making, I think, is something you probably won't hear very frequently in response to that question. 
and you won't hear from me either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because stem making is so exacting and so tedious, and I don't think I've ever finished sanding a stem, taking it to the polishing wheel, and not found some scratches that I missed. <laughs> and so I'm always back and forth from the bench to the polishing wheel trying to get rid of that last little scratch when you hold the stem up to the light. So I can't say I enjoy that the most. I think what I enjoy the most is the design and uh, shaping of the bowl and the, uh, of the pipe of the stomach. I think that's my favorite is... Uh, is seeing the pipe come out of that raw block. Now, the your website is Walther, W-A-L-T-H-E-R, smokingpipes.com. And That's correct. One of That's the, correct. And I should qualify. I had an embarrassing situation a uh-oh. couple of days ago. Uh, somebody ordered a pipe from Germany off my website. And my first clue to that is that they sent a PayPal payment to me and uh, specified which pipe it was they had bought. Well, that pipe was sold about a year ago. Oh, no. So uh, I hope uh, that, that I, can, I can preclude a few of the listeners from going to the website and thinking that they're going to buy a pipe there because... Um, I won't say I'm a Luddite, but uh, but I'm a complete incompetent when it comes to uh, you know use of social media, the use of computers, and all that. And I have tried to maintain that website myself. And uh, there are a couple pieces of software I haven't been able to get from my old computer that I would have to have. It's a difficult site to maintain. So to make a long story short, the website is woefully uh, outdated. Every pipe on it has been sold. And uh, most of my sales now come off of Facebook or shows. Uh, so I'm hoping to rectify that in the, in the relatively near future and get somebody to design some kind of an overlay so that... Uh, I'll be able to add and edit and maintain the website properly. Truth is, uh, it's a good place to go and see uh, <clears throat> a gallery, more or less, of what I've done in the past. But all of the pipes on there are about a year old, and uh, they're all in somebody else's hands now. <laughs> well, the good part of your pipes is, uh, tell us where the price starts out on them. I have pipes that I'll put on special sometimes at shows for as little as maybe two ninety five, two eighty five, and then I'll go up to probably for a, a fancy nice nice blowfish or nautilus or something like that. I'll get about four and a quarter, four fifty. So there you go. Look at the look at the website and uh, follow Bill on Facebook. Or <laughs> I run India at a, at a yeah. couple pipe shows a year. So yeah, my uh, my best uh, my best recommendation would be to uh, follow me on Facebook or uh, Instagram. Uh, 
I don't post too frequently, but sometimes I do. And uh, the very best way, of course, is to contact me at this email address uh, of uh, walterpipes at AOL.com. And uh, I will always be happy to send somebody photographs of all the pipes I've got available at that time. Uh, also, I'm going to have some pipes listed on Pipe Hub. I think I've got a couple of pipes with Primal right now. I've got some with an outfit in Brazil. Wow. Uh, I think some are with Steve Fallon down in Waco, Texas, the pipe stud. Yep. And so, but but most of them, most of them I sell directly. Bill, we'll wrap this up with the uh, fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Okay, sure. What is your favorite pipe? Gosh, that's a tough one. Uh, I don't have a favorite shape, so to speak. It's just every now and then some pipe will really speak to me. Uh, most of them, I think, smoke pretty much the same, most of mine. Uh, I smoke almost ex exclusively my own just because I'm, uh, I don't have, I don't collect or, but I have recently begun exchanging pipes with some of my fellow pipe makers. Um, gosh. I, I'd say my favorite pipe right now is a little blowfish I made one time that I can just, it fits inside my fist pretty much, and I can stick it in my pocket, and it's, it's just such a comfortable little pipe, and it smokes great. Uh, so I'd have to say that, truthfully, is my favorite pipe at the moment. What is your favorite tobacco? Uh, I smoke um, Peterson's University Flake all the time, and uh, I'll intersperse it for uh, with a treat tobacco of uh, Royal Yacht. <laughs> so I'm not I'm not a mild tobacco guy. I need that I need that strength and kick to it. But I'm I'm one of these people too. Uh, I started out long time ago smoking St. Bruno Flake and I smoked that continuously for about 12 years. Uh, then I changed to McClellan 27, smoked that for more than 10 years. Then I changed to University Flake. Uh, so I'm, I'm the guy that goes to the restaurant and orders the same thing every time. <laughs> and I never want to change a bit. <laughs> Well, in that case, what is your favorite drink? Um, depends on the situation, but uh, coffee is a is high on the list. Port wine, I love. Um, bourbon and beer. That doesn't sound bad. Um, <laughs> When it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Uh, I'd say a book. 
and then the hardest question possibly is uh, do you have a favorite pipe smoking related memory that we haven't talked about yeah I really do I uh, I was on vacation once in uh, Europe and we were staying in an idyllic little uh, chateau or whatever up in the, the hills in Switzerland and the evening was just perfect it was one of those perfect uh, summer evenings there uh, the scenery was perfect the setting was perfect uh, everything temperature and you could hear the cows coming down out of the hills with their cowbells and it was just it was a beautiful time to just sit there and soak it up with my pipe. And uh, I, I have very, very fond memories of that hour or that two hours. Uh, and those cows are probably still talking about that guy smoking the pipe, looking at him. <laughs> That's right, giving me dirty looks as they pass by. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it. And we'll be back in just a minute. The year was 1849. Zachary Taylor was sworn in as the 12th President of the United States. The U.S. flag remained fixed at 30 stars. Edgar Allan Poe was found dead in Baltimore. Congressman Abraham Lincoln patented a buoying device, the only patent ever filed by a future president. William Bond was the first person to photograph the moon through a telescope. And gold was discovered in far-off California. And in that same year, also in California, Henry Sutliff founded his small tobacco company in San Francisco. Founded on the principles of giving the public superior tobacco products for those with very discriminating tastes. Now, 165 years later, that tradition continues. Sutliff Tobacco Company has been setting the standard for pipe tobacco ever since. Take a quiz on our website to have the perfect blend suggestion for your tastes, or just browse around to explore all of the wide variety of fine products America's oldest pipe tobacco company has to offer. Lots of things have changed since 1849, but Sutliff Tobacco Company's commitment to making the finest pipe tobacco on earth has not. Visit sutliff-tobacco.com for information on where you can find all of your favorite blends, from the sweetest aromatics to the richest English mixtures. This is Internet Radio. We are back, and I could uh, listen to soft-spoken Bill with his uh, Texas... Uh, with his Texas accent all day long. And, uh, you know, talking about pocket watches made me think all the, all you hipsters out there wearing your vests and beards, that'd be, that'd be perfect pocket watch. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't even pick on you for wearing an iPhone watch with it. All right. For, uh, music, we're going to go on to banjo music. <laughs> I know this will be kind of fun, but, uh, found a, uh, old timer, uh, passed away in the 70s. His name was, he went by the name String Bean, but his name is David Aikman. And this is from a live TV show back in the uh, 60s. It's called It's Mighty Dark to Travel.
there and of course a pipe smoker uh poke around on youtube you'll find a couple of things by him and <laughs> you'll even see where he wore his pants really low check your mailbox you moron in the mailbag trying to get caught up uh t Sheraldi wrote in uh inspired by the interview with mark tinsky i contacted him about carving a new hunk of briar for me he sounded like a, like such an interesting man with an incredibly storied past uh, I was uh, ashamedly not familiar with his work before your show and further perusing of his website. The pipes I saw were absolutely beautiful, and I knew I had to have one. Uh, after several email conversations and pictures of my favorite pipes uh, shape-wise, he surprised me the next morning with a picture of a completed pipe. One day, are you kidding me? Uh, we decided on an amber stem would really make it sing, so the next morning... I had a picture of the final edition. Uh, Thank you, Brian and Kevin, for continuing to expand our knowledge and introduce us to these wonderful artisans. And uh, he's got the pipe, and it's absolutely gorgeous, and he's uh, enjoying the heck out of it. So glad to hear that. Uh, Let me know if you've uh, been inspired to order a pipe from somebody that you've heard on the show. Let me know what you think of the pipe. Tell us little stories about it. I'll read it on the show, and uh, maybe we'll uh, put links to the pictures on there. Anyway, that's on uh, on PipesMagazine.com on the forums. Uh, email. Uh, Chuck emailed about uh, three weeks ago. Uh, he said, you referenced your post-smoke pipe cleaning method on this week's show. Please briefly describe for me that process. Um, I described it early on, and now I've changed it since then. The uh, the process that I go through is I dip about, at the end of each bowl, I scrape out all the tobacco, and then I take a brand new clean pipe cleaner and dip about a half inch to a quarter inch of the tip of the pipe cleaner into some Everclear or grain alcohol, uh, 190 proof, no flavor whatsoever. I take that wet end first and I run it up the stem all the way into the bottom of the bowl, trying not to push on the bottom of the bowl. And then I run it back and forth about five or six times. Take that out, turn it around, and send the dry end through about four or five times. And then inside the bowl, I take the wet end of the pipe cleaner, run it around the top half of the bowl, bend the pipe cleaner in half, 
run it all the way down to the bottom of the bowl and around the edges. And of course I try to keep the rim clean with just a little bit of spit or maybe some of the, uh, uh, maybe some of the Everclear on the tip just to keep the rim clean. But the idea is to get every little bit out of the pipe as much as possible. Uh, the one thing that I don't do anymore is I do not hit the outside of the stem with the Everclear. If I'm worried about moisture on the outside of the stem, I'll just use either a t-shirt or my pipe cleaner. And again, I'm not the best at stem maintenance. You've heard from much better on that. So, Chuck, I hope that answers that for you. Uh, going back to the mailbag last week, Dino says... I really enjoyed your conversation with Ronnie with regard to tobaccos and pipe maintenance. As I rarely smoke more than a bowl a day, I believe in thoroughly cleaning the pipe after each use. But I'm retired and have more than 70 pipes in constant rotation, so it's no big deal. I know that when I get back to a pipe more than a month later, it will be clean and fresh. A nice, upbeat choice of music, Ronnie. As always, an entertaining show. Thanks, Dino. You are welcome. All right, Casey Ghost says, an entertaining show. I guess you and I are quite a bit off on bowl shapes. I find the V to be very hot smoking the more you go down the bowl. Uh, the U is much cooler, and I have no problem smoking all the tobacco. I respect the people who mix and match their tobaccos. Lord knows I can't do it. <laughs> I, su I suspect most of us adapt to the way the manufacturer wanted it to taste. I think if most of us did did it, we would end up with something far fouler than we began with. Uh, Ronnie pointed out the problem with pipe repair today. People simply will not pay to have it done. Thank you, Dan. And uh, Voorhees says, good show, Brian. Ronnie is a great source of knowledge. Music was very choice, and I enjoyed it very much. Uh, be great if Kevin thought of putting the show's song playlist somewhere on the site. Uh, as for your rant, I'm always disheartened by the lack of options for a smoker in this new age. Very sad indeed. Do we really have to get used to being considered second-class citizens by a non-smoking public? Uh, my answer would be yes, except if you're at the Palace Station, where it was really easy to smoke anywhere you wanted to. And uh, let's see, I think that will catch us up on the mailbag. If I miss something, hey, do, free, uh, do feel free and point it out to me. Uh, regarding a song playlist and stuff like that, uh, yeah, that'd be a good idea. It'd be a lot of work. So maybe if there's somebody out there that wants to volunteer to help us out, that would be great. We would appreciate that. Uh, the other thing, if you'd like to advertise on the show, remember it's the advertisers on the show and the sponsors that help keep all these episodes coming out and help keep this archive and library uh, right there for you. We have some spaces available, so please contact Kevin Godby at PipesMagazine.com. All right, in just a minute, rant time. What are you looking for in a pipe? Is it the quality of aged briar? Is it a certain shape or finish? Maybe it's the sound engineering that ensures an effortless, smooth draw with each and every puff. That's exactly the kind of pipe Savinelli has delivered for generations now. With such a variety of shapes, finishes, and sizes, it's easy to find something that fits your sensibility and style. Just this year, we've expanded our lineup to include the Bianca, the Lancelotto, the 2015 Collection, and the final installment in the Leonardo da Vinci line, the Vitruvio. For a bolder style, try our more colorful 2015 editions as well. 
the exotic cashmere, the sultry licoricea, and the striking archipelago red. So whatever you're looking for in a pipe, know there's a Savinelli waiting for you. Contact your local or online retailer to find your Savinelli today. Sports coats, cargo pants, and fanny packs, or uh, bum bags as you call them in England, you know, the little things that strap around your waist. Well, how do they all equal each other? The fanny pack and the cargo pants are basically extra pockets on your clothes, and so is a sports coat. So, when I wear my cargo pants, it gives me a place to add a pipe or a pouch of tobacco without having to sit on it. It adds a place for my cell phone. Same thing with a fanny pack. However, cargo pants and fanny packs are out of style. Well, guess what? I don't give a shit. They're in my style. I carry them. I use them to carry around my pipes. Same thing happens when I'm wearing a sports coat. It's simply more pockets hanging on me and a place where I can put stuff that I don't sit on it. A sports coat's perfectly fashionable, except if you're at the beach, it'd look damn stupid. So, cargo pants, cargo shorts, uh, fanny packs, they're perfectly fashionable. And for us pipe smokers, I think they look a little more stylish than the fishing vests or the photography vests out in public. But either way, stop picking on me about my cargo pants and my fanny packs. Yes, I'm going to keep wearing them and keep carrying my pipes and my pipe tobacco in my fanny packs wherever I fanny want to, and you all can sit there and enjoy it and laugh at me. But don't worry, I don't care. Don't think about it. Okay, um... I want to apologize for uh, the delay in the show, getting it off to Thursday. Next week, we will be back on Tuesday as regular every Tuesday, 8 p.m. Eastern time, except for the occasional oopsie. Uh, please make sure and tell all your friends about the Pipes Magazine radio show. Share the love. Let everybody know how to tune in or how to listen on iTunes or Stitcher or Podkicker. And while you're there, we would greatly appreciate a uh, rating or a review. I want to thank you all for joining me. Thank Bill Walther for joining us. And until next time. The clouds when we're together. Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy trails to you. Tell me.